Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Caitlin Dickerson. This is The Daily. Today, President Trump's travel ban goes to the Supreme Court. On the last day of its term, the court says it will take the case in a major test of the scope of presidential power. And the court reinstates some aspects of the ban effective immediately. What that means. It's Tuesday, June 27th. Hello? Hello, hello. Hey, Adam. It's Adam. Hey, Caitlin. Slow day for you. Uh, this is the worst. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, and it's happened before, but the last time that I opened up the New York Times website and it just, it was a sea of Adam Liptak. Nobody's favorite day. You are superhuman. So Adam, what happened today in the Supreme Court? What did they decide to do with President Trump's travel ban? The court agreed to hear the case. And in the meantime, the court reinstated part of the travel ban. So come October, the Supreme Court will hear President Trump's appeals from lower court decisions ruling against him on the travel ban. But through the summer, part of the travel ban can go into place. Can you just remind us how did we get to this point where the policy is before the Supreme Court, I guess starting back in January when President Trump first announced the travel ban? Just a week after the president took office, he uh, issued his first travel ban then restricting travel from seven mostly Muslim countries. We only want to admit those into our country who will support our country and love deeply our people. That was promptly blocked eventually by the Federal Appeals Court in California, the Ninth Circuit. Fox News alert. We have gotten word from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. They have upheld the lower court ruling from Washington State putting a temporary restraining order on President Trump's travel ban. And instead of appealing then to the Supreme Court, uh, the administration went back to the drawing board, issued a revised travel ban in March. The executive order signed by the president earlier today, protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States, is a vital measure for strengthening our national security. That was fairly promptly blocked by uh, lower court judges in Maryland and Hawaii. That order temporarily barring travelers from six Muslim-majority countries brought to a standstill by a judge in Hawaii just hours before it was supposed to take effect. A judge has just blocked our executive order on travel and refugees coming into our country 
from certain countries. The new and improved version is now facing legal trouble on two fronts. A federal judge early this morning in Maryland putting a hold on the president's executive order. Th that Those piggyback... lower court judges issued injunctions that were affirmed by appeals courts in Richmond, Virginia and San Francisco. And it's those two appeals court rulings uh, that got to the court on Monday. Can we zero in on those cases? And can you just tell us what are the grounds upon which the court really took issue there? Mm -hmm. They struck it down for different reasons. The Fourth Circuit in uh, Virginia said that the travel ban violated uh, constitutional principles against religious discrimination, that it dripped with religious animus. So that was a constitutional ruling. Mm -hmm. The Ninth Circuit in San Francisco said the problem with the travel ban is Congress had not authorized the president to act so broadly that he had exceeded his statutory authority. So the two cases came to the Supreme Court on quite different reasoning. And now they've combined and the Supreme Court is considering those two sets of grounds at the same time. That's right. So come October, they'll hear arguments in the two cases consolidated. So what do we make of the fact that the Supreme Court not only is taking this case, but reinstated part of the ban in the intervening time? What does that signify? I guess I'm ready to read some tea leaves about how the justices voted. Okay. Uh, three justices, the most conservative justices, Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch, mm -hmm. would have reinstituted the entire ban and made noises about how much power the president has in the national security realm. I think you can count those three votes as safe votes for the administration come October. I also think it's pretty clear that the four more liberal members of the court will go the other way, which means the fate of the travel ban ultimately rests in the hands of Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Anthony Kennedy. So as you mentioned, Adam, part of the decision on Monday was a reinstatement, a partial reinstatement of the travel ban. So right. what specifically is going to go back into effect? What does that mean? It means that if you're trying to travel from one of six mostly Muslim countries and you have no connection to the United States, the administration can shut you out. And it means that if you are trying to get to the United States as part of the nation's refugee program and you have no connection to the United States, the administration can shut you out. And it also reinstates in part the Trump administration's efforts to cap the number of refugees to 50,000 people annually. But the court says if you're number 50,001 and you have a pre-existing relationship to the United States, then you can still come. Huh. Okay. And that's, of course, less than half of the cap that President Obama instituted before he left office in 2016. He'd raised it to 110,000, and now it's back down to 50,000, roughly. Right. And so this implementation of the Supreme Court's opinion and trying to decide who has enough of a connection, who has a cousin, who has a mother-in-law, who who's been accepted to college here, that may be hard to administer and it may get the courts uh, involved in all of this through the summer. Right. I think they use the, the words a bona fide relationship with an American. I mean, what is a bona fide relationship? How do you prove that you have a bona fide relationship? Excellent questions, and the court gave fairly limited guidance. And what was the court's legal rationale for reinstating part of the policy? Oh, I think that may overstate what was going on here. The court was acting very fast. It was trying to find a solution that would appeal to a majority of the justices. It was trying to maintain the status quo more or less while the case goes forward. Hmm. And so this is not a decision of the court. This is an interim measure while it decides what it's going to do ultimately. Right. But in effect, reinstating part of the policy 
it sounds like is going to have pretty broad implications. You hear differing views on this. So the the challengers, the ACLU, the state of Hawaii, thinks they've gotten most of what they want because most of the people who are seeking to come here have some connection to the U.S. Uh, The administration, on the other hand, thinks that it has won a huge victory, and it's a little early to say who's right about that. And Adam, what is the larger significance of this case, and what is the precedent that it will set in one way or another? I think the larger significance of the case is that it's a bit of a surprise that the courts, the lower courts, and now to an extent the Supreme Court, is skeptical of this president. This kind of order from any other president would generally be thought to be well within a president's constitutional and statutory authority. Courts do not typically second-guess presidents in this realm, and it may be that because we have an idiosyncratic and unconventional president, uh, he has repeatedly lost in the lower courts and now gained at best, even from a sympathetic conservative-leaning court, only a partial victory, and we'll see what happens in October. And of course, if the current president loses some broad presidential power to administer immigration policy that for years and for administrations to come will will have a big impact. Yeah. So Supreme Court rulings establish neutral legal principles that apply across situations and across presidencies. And that will be one reason the court will be thinking very carefully about what it wants to do when it hears the case. Nick Coolish, you cover immigration for The Times, and the White House is calling the Supreme Court's decision a massive victory for the travel ban. But as we know, this policy has been caught up in the courts for months since it was introduced six months ago. So does that feel like the right assessment? I would say that this is a small win after a long losing streak. But it also raises the possibility or highlights the fact that that they could get an outright win before the Supreme Court in the fall session. Which means that not just a partial reinstatement would remain in place, but a full reinstatement of the revised travel ban. Right, absolutely. Okay, and as we just heard, the court made an exception for people who have a bona fide relationship with someone in the United States, and Adam Liptak told us that the court actually didn't give any guidance on what that means. So what are you hearing from immigration lawyers about what constitutes a bona fide relationship? What is that? I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what a bona fide relationship is, both in and out of court, because I think you're going to possibly end up with even regular Customs and Border Protection officials at the airport trying to determine whether they think something qualifies as a bona fide relationship. Sort of guessing. Just Yeah, guessing. I have heard from immigration advocates everything from a hotel room that is fully booked up to mother and child. You have a relationship with a hotel if you've booked a hotel room. Right, because it says an entity. So what is an entity? And and some people are interpreting entity to mean the refugee resettlement agency. Mm -hmm. When does that relationship become a bona fide relationship? Is it when they first reach out to them or is it when their name is passed on to the people that are making their bed the day before they arrive? It throws open so many questions and As Clarence Thomas wrote today, it was something that really 
that really is going to lead to a whole lot of interpretation and may not even be easily implemented. And as you pointed out, a lot of this will likely come down to the decisions that are made at these checkpoints at American airports or at airports abroad. And you've specifically written about Border Patrol agents and the amount of discretion they have to make decisions and oftentimes the lack of information they have with which to make those decisions. So how do you think that they are digesting the Supreme Court's decision on Monday? I mean, the administration is clearly trumpeting this as a victory and saying that the travel ban is back in place, at least in part. So I I would guess that this will lead to more attempts by by customs and border officials to try to restrict entry to people. And so I think you may see a somewhat less obvious but a sort of slow motion train wreck version of the instant train wreck that happened at the initial travel ban. Okay, Nick, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. After the break, more from Adam Liptak on the eventful last day of the Supreme Court term. We'll be right back. The pace of business is accelerating, and workplaces are connected by technology. The next generation of client engagement requires new ways to capitalize on more opportunities. Serving the global financial services industry, Broadridge settles $7 trillion in trades per day, delivers vital client communications, and holds trusted books and records for millions of investors. Whether it's accelerating the adoption of new technologies like AI, blockchain, cloud, and digital, or transforming your business, what you do next matters most. Broadridge, ready for next. Adam, today was the last day of the Supreme Court session. So what typically happens on this day? Lots of stuff, and today was no exception. This is when the court usually uh, hands down its biggest decisions. Two years ago today... Day here at the Supreme Court, Jake. You can probably hear gay rights advocates cheering by this decision. It handed down its decision establishing a constitutional right to same sex marriage. In this broad ruling by Justice Kennedy, he says the right to marry is a fundamental right, and same sex couples may not be deprived of liberty or that right to marriage. So Today, it disposed of its last six decisions of the year. It agreed to hear an important case on gay rights, and sometimes justices choose to retire. That apparently didn't happen. So there was a lot going on at the Supreme Court today. Can you tell us a little bit more about that case in particular on gay rights? The follow-on to the decision that gave gay and lesbian couples the right to same-sex marriage has been a lot of businesses around the country don't want to participate in, celebrate same-sex marriages. I don't do cakes for same-sex weddings. I offered to do other cakes, birthday cakes, shower cakes, sell them cookies and brownies. I just don't do same-sex weddings. And that's a clash between their assertions of religious freedom and gay people's assertions of the right not to be discriminated against by businesses. The court agreed to hear the case of a Colorado baker who doesn't want to bake a wedding cake to celebrate the marriage of a couple there. I don't feel that I should participate in their wedding. And when I do a cake, I feel like I'm participating in the ceremony or the event or the celebration that the cake is for. And that clash is really the second generation legal battle over how broadly the same-sex marriage decision will sweep. Okay. You mentioned retirements, and you were referring, I think, to some chatter that has 
been flying around Washington. The future of Justice Anthony Kennedy, the swing voter on the high court, is said to be considering retirement. Now to the report that Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy may be ready to step down after nearly 30 years on the bench. The longest serving justice on the court. Some people thought he might retire today, but he didn't. Does that mean it's not going to happen this session? And can you tell us any more about that decision? We don't know for sure that he's not going, but I never thought he was going to go. And I don't know that he'd want to go when there's so much tumult, when he may have his doubts about this administration, when the court has just gotten, as of April, a new justice on the court, when major cases that he might well want to participate in and where he'd be the deciding vote, not only on the travel ban, but also on partisan gerrymandering, also now on this new case they agreed to hear about gay rights, I think Justice Kennedy might well want to retain his central role in American life through the next term. Do you know just by chance where that rumor came from, why so many people were speculating it might happen today? Well, it's partly wishful thinking from an administration that would dearly love to fill that seat. Okay. Uh, There was also, from some time ago, a bunch of little data points that seemed to head in that direction. He was slow in hiring his law clerks. Last summer, he didn't teach as he usually does in Salzburg, but he is teaching there this summer. His clerk hiring has come up to speed. He also had his reunion uh, for his clerks a little bit early, just this past weekend. And so a lot of reporters were trying to figure out what went on, what his mood was inside that clerk reunion. Hmm. And the general consensus was he didn't seem like a man heading out the door. But, Caitlin, you know, we'll have this conversation now, and a day or two later we can be surprised. I don't think so. I don't think it's this year. Okay. And let's talk about another justice briefly. On the very first episode of The Daily, you, Adam, introduced listeners to the newest Supreme Court justice, Neil Gorsuch. So now that he's been on the bench a few months, what can you tell us about Gorsuch, how he's fitting into the mix? Well, he's fitting into the mix on the right side of the court. He is a very, very reliable conservative vote and is uh, perhaps outflanking a very conservative justice, Samuel Alito, and is right in the zone of the most conservative justice, Justice Clarence Thomas. In other ways, he's come up to speed very fast. He seems to be completely on top of his workload, which is not easy parachuting into the middle of a Supreme Court term in April. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's an active questioner, an engaging writer, In terms of outcomes and consequences, he is just what the Trump administration wanted, which is a very reliable conservative vote. Adam, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Here's what else you need to know today. Several Republican senators came forward on Monday to say they would not vote on the Senate health care bill after the Congressional Budget Office projected that 22 million Americans would lose their insurance under the plan. It makes me more concerned. Uh, I've been uncommitted and I remain uncommitted. I mean, just deadline uncommitted. Uh, But it certainly makes me more concerned. It makes me want to explore this more. Republicans can only afford to lose two members. So the vote may be put off until Congress returns from its Fourth of July recess. That's it for The Daily. I'm Caitlin Dickerson. See you tomorrow. Introducing the all-new Buick Envision, an SUV specifically designed to fit the way you live. No matter which version of you we're talking about, the well-connected tech nerd you, check. The spontaneous road trip at the drop of a hat you, you betcha. The always-down-for-dressing-up you, done. The -the up-to-the-minute, never-miss-a-story you? Absolutely. 
The all-new Buick Envision is technologically advanced, yet instantly familiar. Meet an SUV built around you, all of you. 